Welcome to the Housing Matters Podcast, brought to you by the California Association of Realtors and the Center for California Real Estate. everyone. Thank you for joining us for our latest Housing Matters podcast. My name is Oscar Wei. I'm a senior economist at the California Association of Realtors. I have Jordan Levine with me also. Howdy. Hi. Um, well, since last podcast, a couple weeks ago, we have had quite a few uh, press releases and sales and price report, huh? You're keeping us very busy. Yeah, well, it's a summer. I know people are taking time off, but you know, we are definitely not taking time off. You know, that's right. people have to sell houses, right? And that's what we're here for to you know keep you guys informed and let you know what's going on with the housing market. Now, we release a couple reports, but let, let me talk about the first report first. It is the uh, July sales number. That's our big one. That's the big one. And of course, we're not the only one that released sales numbers. There are a couple reports that release sales figures. Um, and I think the reason, most recent one is the NAR reports. Mm-hmm. But let's, you know, uh, come back to California first. Now, we released our reports about a week ago, and you know, based on the July sales number, if you just look at the sales number, it looks like we are a little weaker than we previously thought. How many sales came in in, in June? In now, in July, you know, if you look at single-family homes, we're still about 400. In fact, you know, let me give you the exact numbers, 415,840. Now, if you compare it to, to let's say, last month or um, a couple months ago, it's not bad, but it's a, it's a drop from last month. It's a drop of 4.1% from last month. Mm-hmm. And compared to last year, it's actually dropped 5%, 5.1%. So is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Well, it depends. It depends on how you look at it. Of course, uh, there's always some seasonality, but um, we usually account for seasonality. Seasonality um, just being the normal fluctuations in a busy month to a, a less busy month, and that's something that we see kind of consistently over time where, I guess Christmas is the classic example, right, where activity drops off in January, and that's not because the economy or the housing market's going into a downturn. That's just that the holiday season's over. Um, and so that's a normal, I guess, seasonal pattern that you're talking about? Yeah, well, I mean, there's always seasonal patterns. You know, during the summer, a lot of people buying homes because they want to move into their new house before uh, school starts for family. So there's always some seasonality. Gotcha. But it looks like this year, the seasonality plays a bigger role. Now, of course, I said the number that I just gave you is seasonally adjusted. But let's look at some of the uh, non-seasonally adjusted number mm. that you might have seen in the uh, in other people's report. Um, if you look at NAR's report and if you look at something like uh, some of the CoreLogic or Property Radar's report, you might see some headlines saying that, okay, well, a drop of, say, 10 to 12% oh, yeah. in terms of sales. Wow, that's significantly different from what we are reporting, right? And the reason why they have a drop of double digit, maybe a 10% or so, is because of seasonality. Gotcha. Um, when we look at last year's and this year's number, um, one of the big issue with seasonality is the number of business days, uh-huh. number of trading days. If you take a look at this year and last year's, we because July 4th this year falls on a, um, on a, uh, a Saturday, uh, I don't remember if it's false on Saturday, but because of July 4th, 
the uh, number of business days that we have is 23 days, if I remember correctly, uh, compared to 21 days instead of 23 days compared to last year. So we're two fewer business days short of uh, last year. Oh, and that matters, I guess, because we don't close escrows and things like that or record title um, on, on a weekend, basically. So when we lose those business days, there's fewer days available for, I guess, sales to close on. You're right on. You're right. I mean, what, I mean, if we have 20, 20 some days, business days, and we, we lose two days, what is that? Maybe about we're losing seven or eight percent of the closed sales transactions on paper. So, you know, those are, you know, significant in terms of raw sales number. And that's when we, that's why we need to do some seasonality adjustment. And is that why, so then when we, when we kind of account for that seasonal pattern that our, our actual year to year growth was not quite as bad as that, I guess, raw 10% would suggest. Exactly. I mean, yes, based on the raw number, we're down a little bit more, about close to 10%. But when, after the seasonal adjustment, we actually drop only 5%. Now, there's no excuse for the drop, of course. You know, that still suggests that we are softening up a little bit. Gotcha. you. What yeah. do you think the, uh, the softening could be attributed to? You know, I mean, this is something that I've said for a while, but, you know, we've harped and harped on, on supply, and supply has been a you know, ongoing concern for, um, you know, the last few years, really. It's not a new phenomenon. Supply has been low for a very long time. Um, but I think, you know, and this is something that I said before, where I think that our, our supply problems have now started to become demand problems. And what I mean by that is I think, you know, this lack of supply has really, um, you know, despite kind of growth in demand has continued to push up prices and, and that's, you know, made affordability that much worse. Um, a much smaller segment of the population, I guess, that can now afford homes at the prices where they are now compared to where they were even just a few years ago. Um, and I think that that might start to erode the demand. I mean, there's only a you know certain number of folks out there who can afford prices at some of these price points. That's that's I think that's very true. But let me ask you this. Let me if you could clarify it a little bit. Um, now you said supply as an issue, but sometimes we see you know the unsold inventory index and some inventory index index that we release. It seems to be staying on par with say the previous month or the previous year. Now I know there's a two part to the unsold inventory index. If you don't mind kind of explaining it a little bit so that you know the audience uh, understand why even though we're on par with last year we're seeing that supply is uh, an issue no i'm glad you brought that up because i always worry when folks look at our uii and they maybe see that it's flat or even up a little bit that they go oh, that you know supply problem is taking care of itself we don't have anything to worry about um but you know the important thing to keep in mind especially on the unsold inventory index is that you know it's a fraction it's comprised of two numbers it's you know the amount of of listings that are out there and available for sale um, or pending or things that haven't closed escrow yet uh, divided by you know the amount of actual sales activity that we have and so you can have uii move around because either something changes on listings or something changes on sales or both some combination um, and I think this month what you saw was you know a modest increase in supply but that wasn't because the supply issue was solving itself right that wasn't because we had you know tons of new listings coming online and there's you know a flood of new inventory on the market but rather because we had um, a ding to sales right uh -huh. where sales dipped down that actually inflates our UII number 
Uh, but I would you know, kind of caution against reading into that as being this overwhelmingly positive sign for what's coming down the, the pike in the market just because you know it can go up or down but not necessarily for good or bad reasons I guess got it got I mean that, that's true you know so when you have a drop in sales you know if you don't have as big a drop in supply then you could potentially see an increase in UI which could be somewhat confusing um, but so we have to really read into you know the element and I think that's why we're here is to try and hopefully that's make true. sense of these things that's <laughs> true now but let me ask you another question you said okay it has you know the supply side and the demand side that actually control the UII but I also look at some of the numbers that we have seen uh, in the last few months on San Francisco Bay Area for example yes seems like San Francisco Bay Area's uh, is seeing a, a, a bit of a supply increase especially in San Francisco and San Mateo how much of those do you think is real and how much of those may be attributed to drop in sales you know just because I think as you you hit the nail on the head when you said that it's something that we've been observing you know not just this current month but over the course of the last couple of months um, which is why I think it tends to be um, real or at least you can't dismiss it offhand as a kind of one-time blip um, when you look at where their prices are at prices have grown there pretty remarkably um, you know in the Bay Area there's I think three or four counties of the nine county area that have prices over a million dollars on median which right, means that right. you know at least half of the homes sold were you know of a million dollars or more uh, which is pretty astonishing to think about but i think from from a supply standpoint that has actually motivated sellers to um, get back into the market, oh, which may okay. explain that uptick in listings. They say my, you know, my property values have appreciated a lot. I'm sitting on, you know, a decent amount of equity. Rates are still low, so maybe I can, you know, if I move, I can lock in a cheap rate, and that's finally um, got folks motivated to to put their homes on the market. Now that prices have gotten to a, a relatively high level in those areas, so I think in the Bay Area in particular, um, that could be a, you know, the start of a trend where we see more listings coming online as a result of these really high prices. Got it. And, and do you think at the same time, of course, we are seeing some um, slowdown in demand in the Bay Area and San Francisco and San Mateo because of affordability issue. So if people are, of course, not picking up those or buying those uh, listings already on the market, of course, that will stay on the market and that will push up you know, active listings as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think if you look at our time on market in the Bay Area, it is um, on the rise in most of these counties, which suggests that it is getting um, a little bit less competitive. And I mean, let's face it, it takes a certain amount of income to afford a $1.3 million yeah. home. Um, you know, and I would I would argue that that level of income that you need, although I don't have the calculation right in front of me, it's going to be uh, much higher than, than what the average person, even in, in a place like San Francisco, earns. Yeah, I mean, 1.3, that's that's huge. Yeah. That's huge. Now, okay, now we have seven months of um, sales figures in. And I have to admit, you know, based on these numbers compared to our previous forecast, seems like we are a little short compared to the 1.3% increase uh, for the year. I think right now, for the first seven months, we are slightly down by 0.3% compared to the first seven months of last year. Um, is there anything that we can look forward to? Hopefully, that can actually still keep our forecast, you know, in line with 
the, you know, the, uh, the previously predicted value, do you think? Now, maybe based on something from pending sales. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, the one kind of, um, I guess, ray of encouragement that we have is that pending sales in July, which is kind of a forward-looking indicator on what's going to happen in August, September, um, was up again by 3.5% after accounting for those, you know, typical seasonal patterns. So that does suggest that we will see um, some catch-up in August, potentially, as we um, you know lost some of those days in July, mm-hmm. some of those transactions may end up actually closing in the first couple of weeks of August, on top of the the activity that was already scheduled for August. Um, so you know, I'm encouraged that we might see a decent month when we get around to releasing our our next monthly report in September. Right. Um, but I think the the bigger concern is is what, whether we'll be able to sustain that pace throughout the rest of the year and actually get back to that one point three percent that true. we had forecasted. That's true, and and I know I mean we looked at some of the numbers, the very preliminary numbers for the first week or so. I mean we're seeing some encouraging sign, um, but of course it's only based on six or seven days, and it's showing some increase, right? Yeah, it was showing double digit increases. In other words, I think you know we saw about the amount of transactions that we would expected to see um, spill over from July into August, and we were pretty much getting that. So it seems like um, you know a big chunk of the downturn in July uh, was due to uh, the seasonality, but. You know, again, it, it remains to be seen whether we'll, we'll sustain that pace. Yeah, well, hopefully we will. I mean, and of course, we will have another, we'll have a, uh, an updated forecast coming up in, in September. Uh, and at the Expo, Leslie will be talking about the forecast uh, on September 29th, uh, if I remember that date correctly. So definitely stay tuned. Now, let me ask you this also. Of course, Pending sales and uh, part of the reason why we have uh, such an increase, in, such uh, um, somewhat solid, even though we we're hopefully you know, expecting a, a higher level of sales, um, even though the market fundamental seems to be uh, decent because partly because of job growth right. and partly because of interest rates. Now we know that interest rates. Even though we had an increase by the Fed funds rate um, by 25 basis uh, point at the end of last year, it actually has been staying very, very low. Yeah. Um, In fact, it actually dropped down to the lowest that we have seen since 2013. So with that level of interest rate, I believe 30-year fixed rate is average about a bit low 3.5 right now. With that interest rate, we're getting a lot of uh, finance and refinance activity. Yeah, definitely. I mean, refinancing has jumped, I think, you know, especially following the Brexit vote, which we talked about a couple episodes ago. Um, we saw a retrenchment in rates again, where they actually started to sink back down. Um, and we saw a huge surge, like a 14% jump that week following the Brexit and refinance applications. And they've stayed pretty high, um, you know, just because rates are, are so low. And I think that, you know, by now we're starting to get towards the end of the cycle where, you know, anybody who hasn't refied up till this point in time, um, you know, probably is about to or, or right. about done with that cycle. Um, but lots and lots of refi activity out there. Now, of course, you know, usually refinancing is a good thing for homeowners. Of course, who, who wouldn't want to save a few bucks, right? Yeah. You know, if you can cut your uh, payment down from, uh, let's say, a couple thousand dollars to, you know, a thousand six hundred, that's about, you know, a few hundred dollars. But there are, I remember, you know, back in 2005, 2006, there were also a lot of refinancing activities. 
and um, some were good for homeowners but there were some people who were overextending especially for people who are cash out refi uh, do you mind explaining what cash out refi is well yeah that's a, a great point because I guess it depends on on how you refi there's lots of different ways for you to refinance your home. Um, one of the options that folks have if they have a decent amount of equity is that they can refinance and actually draw down some of the equity that they have saved up in their home. So, you know, say you have a $500,000 home, you only owe $400,000 in mortgage balance right. left. Um, you can actually go and refinance your house, lock in a lower rate for that 400,000 that you owe your current mortgage servicer or whoever, um, but then also kind of get some cash back from that and maybe take something like, you know, 70, 80,000 in this hypothetical example out as, you know, equity in the form of cash that you can then go out and spend. And, and that's something that preceded the, the previous downturn in the housing market. Um, those numbers went up pretty significantly, so. Well, okay, so yeah, I mean, that's a good thing. You have some equity, you draw it out. That's a good thing for many people, right? Um, but I think it was bad, partly because in 06, 07, if you put your money back into the house, you know, let's say if you renovate, you put the money back into the house, of course, that will help you increase the value of the house. But back then, a lot of people actually did not use their money on their house, right? Yeah, and I think that's you know that's where the rubber meets the road on this thing is, um, you know, cashing out refis aren't you know categorically uh, a bad thing. If you're taking that money out and you're um, fixing up your home, uh, reinvesting, adding a bedroom, remodeling your kitchen, doing things that actually um, increase the value of that underlying asset, that can be a, a really smart thing to do with your money and allow you to get a nice return on investment. Whereas, you know, it's also, um, you know, your equity in your home is also kind of your skin in the game. It's your um, your vested interest in what happens to that asset. Um, so when you you kind of cash out all of that equity and maybe you go out and spend it. Maybe you don't reinvest it in your home, but you buy a boat or you buy an RV or you take uh, your family to Europe for the summer or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, that also is potentially a negative because then you've extracted all of your equity, all of your skin in the game, your kind of vested true. interest in that property. And so, um, you know, that's when you get things like strategic defaults or foreclosures back in the previous downturn was, you know, even in cases I think where some folks could continue to make that home payment, um, if they no longer had any equity in there and they cashed out and bought a boat and things like that, their, their kind of willingness to ride out that economic storm and wait for their home price to bounce back up is effectively been diminished pretty substantially um, which is why we try to keep an eye on these cash out refis just to see you know it's not indicative that something is definitely um, going wrong in the housing uh -huh. market but it's something that you want to look at to try and investigate when they start to rise up you know what are people doing with that money um, you know and does that have negative implications for what we're gonna see in the market that's very true and I think back then people had the mentality that, okay, well, home prices will continue to rise and it will never drop. And of course, we know that that's not, not the case, and especially in 2007 and 2008, when home prices drop and drop significantly in uh, those years, people who cash out refis, got a lot of money out and spent on something else, of course, couldn't come up with the money to pay back the bank. And of course, they lost a lot of value. That's right. But what about now? Are we seeing a similar trend now that interest rates are actually at a very low level? 
you know, the incentive is there for people to borrow. Uh, mortgage debt is is very cheap by historical standards. I always joke that my dad, you know, always used to brag about his 12% mortgage interest rate back in the 80s. Um, so things are, are clearly <laughs> much different today. Um, and so that incentive to borrow is there. But I wouldn't say that it's similar to what we saw back in um, 2005, six timeframe. Just to give you some kind of perspective on that, I went okay. and looked at the, um, you know, government, backed mortgage securities, basically the, the Fannie and Freddie and Ginny Mays of okay. the world. Um, these are our agency-backed mortgage securities, basically. Um, and, and back at the height of the, of the last housing um, expansion in 2005-06, almost half of all mortgages that were, or refinance mortgages that were securitized um, by these GSEs or the agencies were cash out refinancing. In really? other words, folks were actually almost half of all refinances involved folks extracting that equity out in the form of cash to use it for, for one thing or another. Now, you know, by 2011, 12, fast forward to um, when prices were pretty much at their very low point, uh-huh. um, that number dropped to less than 20%, right? So just okay. 18%, one out of every five mortgages or less uh, were a cash out refi. That has started to increase. So over the last couple of years, we've seen that start to rise a little bit. Um, in the most recent data that we have, which is through the midpoint of 2015, we saw that that number jumped back up to about between 29 and 32%, depending on which agency we're talking about. So we have seen cash out refis rise, but we're nowhere near the, the half of all refinance applications involved folks um, actually extracting that equity. And, you know, I know the other thing to that really kind of has me less concerned, maybe is the right way to characterize it, than last time around is I have seen some reports that, that the way that folks are actually utilizing these cash out uh-huh. refis is a little bit different this time around as well, in the sense that folks are actually either um, consolidating debt. I've seen that that's been one of the big okay. uses of cash out refis is maybe you go out and pay off your student loan That's and your right. car payment and, and kind of bring that all under under the roof of your, your kind of um, home equity line of credit or your cash out refinance. And the other way that folks are using, I think 45% of all cash out refis I saw uh, were to reinvest back into the home. And I would say that That's that is an thing. appropriate way to use your home equity is to build up the value of your right. own assets even further. And so, you know, A, we're not at the level of cash out refining that we saw back in 2005, six. And it seems like even the folks that are um, cashing out are, are using the money to actually invest in their home uh, as opposed to just going out and consuming, which I think is a more sustainable way to use that money. That, that's uh, good to hear. Of course, I know um, you said at, at the lowest point, we are actually below 20%. And uh, tell me if it's uh, typically, you know, when home prices rise, obviously you would see cash out refi, you know, increase, obviously because you have a big equity on your house. Um, but it's good to know that it yes yes we are seeing some cash out increase in cash out refi, but they're doing it. The homeowners are actually uh, putting them into good use, the, the money that they're drawing out into good use. Um, of course, uh, it's still 
these are things that we still need to continue to monitor. Absolutely, absolutely. It's not to say that this is a non-issue or something to just completely ignore. I think it's something that's important to watch. As I mentioned, the data that we have only goes through the midpoint of 2015. We know that rates are still low. We know that home prices have continued to rise. So even more folks out there actually have equity compared to, you know, just the same point last year. And so I think that's that's something that we're definitely going to keep a close eye on. But I wouldn't say that it's um, overly concerning at this point in the mm-hmm. cycle, but I will continue to update uh, on this thing. I also think it, it kind of gives a lens potentially into our supply issues just in the sense that we know a lot of folks aren't moving out of their home for whatever reason. Um, you know, baby boomers are, are a classic example where they're staying right. in homes longer and things like that. But it really has been all the way up and down the spectrum and not just boomers. And I think that... You know, these cash out refis might explain some of that where folks, you know, aren't necessarily uh, moving to that next bigger house or, or kind of into that move up house or next level house, but are instead, you know, looking at this equity that they've accumulated and saying, hey, maybe I'll take this and, and instead add a bedroom or customize my home or make the house that I currently have a little bit more livable, uh, which is, you know, maybe why we're not seeing as many listings coming on the market during the cycle. Um, I have absolutely no way to back that up, but it's <laughs> it's a conjecture and it's something that seems to be at least backed up by what we're seeing on the refinance side. I think that makes sense, you know, now that you put it you know, this way. And we know that people are folks or homeowners are pay, uh, living in their house for a longer period of time. And we often say they have to, some may have difficulty actually buying a house and partly because of, you know, the uh, lack of inventory in the market but partly also because they're at the age where they don't want necessarily want to move. It might be easier to take money out if they know that they have money in the house to expand it. So that's, uh, I think that's a very good um, uh, speculation. Either way, we'll be keeping an eye on it moving forward. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think um, this time, you know, we would talk about cash out refi. I know, you know, the next time it will be another two weeks, but... Um, in two weeks, I'm sure we'll have more news coming out. Whatever so, we come up with, it'll be really fun. Yes. And uh, folks, just remember, in about a month, we will have our expo. So stay tuned. We'll probably talk um, a little bit more about uh, expo next time. But until then, uh, thank you for tuning in. Thanks, everyone.